Hi. Just making sure everybody can hear me in the back. I know sometimes there are issues with that. It's like, okay, ready to roll. I will try to speak up so you can hear me in the back. Well, hello, my name is Joe Kovacs. I'm not a pastor, and I don't play one on TV. I'm in the news business. I'm a news reporter for a very popular news site. Some of you may have heard of it. It's called WND.com. Stands for World Net Daily. WND.com. It's a very homeschool friendly news site. Getting a buzz here. But anyway, we are not run by the spirit of Antichrist as are most news sites uh, in the world. We are run by the spirit of Christ himself. So we're very, I like to call it a pro-Christ website. Is anybody else hearing that hum? Should I shut off this other mic? I've got, I've got another mic in my pocket. One, two, three, four, five. Can you still hear me? Okay, some of you. I didn't even drink last night. Okay. There we go again. I've written four books also. You may have heard of them. The first one was Shocked by the Bible, which was a big hit. In fact, it was the Tulsa Church of God, which was the first group in America that invited me out years ago to speak on that topic at the Renaissance Center in Tulsa. So thank you for your interest in that. I've written three others since then, Shocked by the Bible 2, so there is a sequel, The Divine Secret, and my latest book, which we've been giving away free all week, is Reaching God Speed, which God downloaded into my brain because I did not have that book in me on my own, so I give God all the glory for that one. But uh, we're going to get into that today because it's a fascinating way to understand the Bible and everything in life. More importantly, like yourselves, I'm a Seventh-day Sabbath keeper. I also observe all the holy days. I don't do Christmas or any of that pagan holiday nonsense. And I haven't had pork or shellfish since I was 16. So here I am just a couple years later, and I'm getting used to that finally. Um, and I'm not a Messianic Jew. I don't know where people get that idea from, but uh, I am not. But thanks for having me here. There is a website for the book of what I'm going to be talking about today. It's reachinggodspeed.com. What a coincidence. It's the title of the book, reachinggodspeed.com. Plenty of information on there, TV interviews with me, news article after news article about what's in the book. But don't go to your cell phones right now to check it out. I understand tomorrow at this time there's going to be another sermon, and you can feel free to check it out then. Okay, I'm going to give you a quick recap of what I presented uh, last time, two years ago, the Tanglewood Feast. I'm going to give you some helpful hints and keywords to help bring you up to God's speed. And I'm going to introduce you to a game. Yes, a game that you can play for yourselves. No cash prizes, though. It's called the Single Bible Verse Game that God inspired me to invent. And it's a very good exercise for all of you, all of us, to 
look at one verse out of the Bible completely out of context of the storyline that it's in. Just grab any verse and then look at it for its spiritual or metaphor meaning. And I will, at, toward the end of my speech here, give you example after example of that so you get quite good at the game by the time you leave this room. If there are any questions, I will be down in the mysterious bistro next to the lobby, which no one can find, but down in the lobby, there's like a little bistro next to it uh, after my presentation here. And you can ask me about anything you want, reaching God's speed, shocked by the Bible, WND.com, whatever you like. Okay, what is God speed? I know it's a kind of a obscure term. We all operate at human speed. Power God has given us in our human bodies, seeing, smelling, tasting, hearing, and touching. But God's speed, the simplest way to put it, is simply the spirit or metaphor level of the Bible. The parable level. It's important to remember that word. Jesus spoke only in parables. It says it twice in the Bible. Matthew 13, 34. Jesus spoke only in parables, and without a parable, he did not speak. So that means everything is a parable. The whole Bible is a parable. And when I say that, I'm not saying the events didn't happen. We all know they happened. In actuality, all those events in the Bible happened. What I'm saying is, because Jesus only spoke in parables, there is an additional message, a higher message, a metaphor message, a spirit message. I call that God's speed. You already know how it works. It's very simple. This is not rocket science. When Jesus told his friend Peter, feed my sheep, Nobody thinks that Jesus is telling Peter, dude, I've got some sheep, some woolly animals behind my house, and I need you to go feed them. You already know that he's talking about feeding people, believers, because we're metaphorically all sheep. We're beasts. We're in the image of God, but we're in the body of a beast. And Jesus calls us beasts all the time. Besides sheep, we're also dogs and snakes and serpents and worms and all these things. He uses those words because everything is a metaphor in the Bible in addition to its actual uh, happening, the actual events. Another example, Lazarus was asleep and needed to be awakened. You already know that he wasn't literally, naturally asleep. He was dead. Why? Because sleep in the Bible implies death. He needed to be Awakened. Woken up. Not woke, by the way. <laughs> that just came to me. Sorry, Adrian. <laughs> yeah, he needed to be awakened. When you see words in the Bible like awaken, arise, think resurrection. Lazarus was asleep, dead. He needed to be awakened, rise. This is what God's speed is. It's the metaphor or parable level, and this is how... Uh, God communicates with us. So I'm just trying to get you up to speed. I know you guys have been reading the Bible for years. You know the Bible backwards and forwards on a physical level. But there is another level, the more important level, the spirit level. Remember, the spirit gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Everything in the flesh is irrelevant. We're getting rid of the flesh, as you know. So I'm going to give you some key Bible verses here that help us in reaching God's speed. The first one is Ephesians 1.23. Christ who fills all in all. What does that mean? Another Bible translation has it, Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Christ is in everything. 
Every single thing you can think of, Christ's presence is there. Here's another key verse, Isaiah 46.10. God is declaring the end from the beginning. What does this mean? He's telling us the conclusion of the story right from the start. So as you read scriptures, always think that God is broadcasting a secondary message about the end. And you know the end of the story. We're going to be raised. We're going to be glorified. We're going to be sons and daughters of God. So I'm going to go through some examples of that momentarily. I already mentioned to you another verse, Matthew 13, 34. Jesus only speaking in parables. Everything is a parable. And the uh, last one is Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, I know you already know that Jesus doesn't change. He's the same. But what you might not have realized is that that verse mentions three different time periods in there. Yesterday, that's the past. Today, today, they always want you to buy that car today when you're at the dealership. How much will it take for you to buy the car today? That's the present. And forever, that's tomorrow. There's three days in there. And whenever you see three days or three times mentioned in the Bible, and you know the Bible from beginning to end is loaded, we're always talking about three days. Or on the third day, it's talking about the past, present, and future. And I will get into some examples of that. Now, here are some examples of where Jesus' presence is that you might not think in your everyday life. I'm going to start off with a very simple children's story that everyone knows. It's called Hansel and Gretel. It's one of the first stories we know. And believe it or not, Hansel and Gretel is broadcasting the exact same message of the Bible. How on earth is Hansel and Gretel broadcasting the message of the Bible? Well, there's children who are lost in the wilderness. Who are these children lost in the wilderness, really, at the spirit level? We are all the children who are lost in the wilderness. Without God, we're lost. These children are tricked and trapped into captivity when enticed by their own desires. In the story, it's a house made of candy. But we all have our own desires that trap us into captivity, into bondage. There's an evil character looking to devour these children. Well, in the Bible, there's a very evil character, known as the evil one, looking to devour us, prowling around like a lion, looking to devour us. And these children are trapped, and they need to fight the good fight against the evil one so that the evil one goes into the fiery place instead of the children. Because that's what happens when we read the end of the Bible. The devil goes into the Gehenna fire, and we escape certain death in the Gehenna fire. So the kids are saved. So we are being saved while the devil goes into uh, the fiery place. So Hansel and Gretel is a metaphor for the basic story of the Bible. How about the songs that we sing? Happy birthday. We sing that every year to people, or even if you just say happy birthday to people. This is broadcasting Bible prophecy and your own future. How on earth is happy birthday broadcasting the Bible? Well, we've all had our original birthday way back when. Some of us a long time ago, some of us just a few years ago. But that's not your happy birthday. We all know that we are going to be born again. To see the kingdom of God, you must be born again, Jesus said. 
And that is your happy birthday. Why is it your happy birthday? Because there's no more sorrow, no more pain, no more death, and all the problems of this world are done away with. So that's your ultimate happy birthday. Even the songs we hear on the radio, believe it or not, they're singing God's message from the Bible, staying alive from the Bee Gees, Stay, that we're going to be staying alive, eternal life, Forever Young by Rod Stewart. We're going to be forever young because we're not going to age. Stairway to Heaven by Led Zeppelin, believe it or not, is actually the pathway, the stairway to God's dwelling place. And when you hear the opposite of that message, when you break God's commandments, you're on the highway to hell. That, when you're hearing messages about evil, the Bible is full of evil, by the way. <laughs> People ask me sometimes, you know, are you endorsing a song, telling people to listen to songs that have wickedness in it? No, I'm not. But they're already out there. Just like in the Bible, you don't stop reading the Bible when you come to a page with wickedness in it. You have to understand what the wickedness is in order to reject it and get it out of your life. Remember, we live in the land of knowledge of good and evil. Both are present at the same time, and we're mature Christians here. We have to discern between the good and the evil all the time. Okay, besides songs, we have commercials all over TV and radio. One of my favorites is a lady falls in the bathroom, and she says, help, I've fallen, and I can't get up. You know that commercial. She's wearing a life alert, a life call on, on her, uh, it's like an pen, electronic pendant, and she has to press it, and she gets saved when she calls the life call, the life alert, and of course God is life, but we have all fallen short of the glory of God, it says in Romans 3.23, and this help I've fallen and I can't get up sounds almost like a Bible verse exactly, Psalm 18.38, they cannot get up, they fall in the Bible. How about the movies we see? Back to the Future, very popular movie, Michael J. Fox, we all know what it's about, I'm not going to give you the whole movie here, but just the title alone. What is our future? What is our intended future? It's eternal life with God, being glorified children of God. But when we sin, we are not on the track to that glorified future. We have to get back to our future, back to that eternal glorification. So we have to stop our ridiculous nonsense sinning. One of my favorite movies is Raiders of the Lost Ark. Harrison Ford, we all know that movie. He's searching for an object, the Ark of the Covenant, that represents the very presence of God. The Ark of the Covenant represents the very presence of God. But what does he have to do? He has to take it out of the earth and take it out of Egypt. Well, these are two key words that help you uncode or decode what the movie is broadcasting. What is the earth according to the Bible? This may stun you, but we are the earth. Why are we the earth? Because the Bible tells us that's what we're made of. Starts right in the very beginning, Genesis 2, 7. The Lord God formed man out of what? The dust of the earth, the dust of the ground. So whenever you see words like earth or earthen vessels, earth, clay, dust, think people, especially people in the flesh. This is the earth. I know when I say it to you, you, you recognize it, but you may have not made the connection. Egypt is another key word in the Bible that will bring you up to the metaphor level. 
Don't think just some place in Africa on a map, Egypt, and uh, makes news headlines sometimes. The word Egypt in Hebrew is Mizarim, M-I-Z-R-A-I-M, Mizarim. It sounds an awful lot like misery. Why does it sound an awful lot like misery? Because that's what it means. Mizarim is misery. And that's the place of the flesh. We're all in the place of misery right now. That's why the book of Revelation says Jesus was crucified in Sodom and Egypt. We all know physically he was crucified in Jerusalem, but he, it says the place that is spiritually called Egypt because he was crucified here in the flesh. When you think Egypt, think flesh. So, right as the lost ark, you have to take the object representing the presence of God out of earth, out of this Egypt. It's broadcasting resurrection. Just say it. How about the news that we see all the time? 9-11 terror disaster happened. Why did it happen? Why does any terror, all terror happen? The Bible tells us why all terror happens. Leviticus 26, 14. But if you don't obey me and don't observe all these commandments, I will also do this to you. I will even appoint terror over you. It's the first in the list. If you don't obey God, and I'm not saying, by the way, that those folks who died in the Twin Towers were, were sinners, but it's just because there's so much sin in the world and in America that God does these things, attention getters, so that we get our act together. Just had a COVID pandemic in that same list. In Leviticus 26, it talks about wasting disease and fever. So all these diseases that we have rampant is because we are disobeying God. All right, how about the words we say to each other all the time? You might have said this phrase this morning to someone in your family, rise and shine. We all have said that at some point in our life, right? When you say rise and shine, you are broadcasting Bible prophecy and your future. Why is that? Because we are all going to rise from the grave and shine in our Father's kingdom, right? Yes, I see a girl looks stunned there in the, uh, in the audience. But uh, yes, we're going to rise from the grave and shine. It is a direct quote from scripture, Isaiah 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord shines over you. So when we are resurrected, we're not going to be in the darkness of this flesh anymore. We are going to be bright, shining individuals in God's kingdom, sons and daughters of God. Gods, as, uh, as it's Psalm 82 says. We're all going to be gods. Okay, in nature, the earth revolves around the sun. Why does the earth revolve around the sun? And it's heavier than gravity, I can tell you that. Again, what is the earth according to the Bible? We are the earth. We're made up of the dust of the earth, the dust of the ground. What does the sun represent in the Bible? The S-U-N. You may have never thought about this, but the Lord God is a sun. That's a direct line from the Bible, Psalm 84:11. For the Lord God is a sun, S-U-N. He's a sun and a shield. And Jesus says, I'm the bright morning star. So the earth revolving around the sun implies that people revolve around God. He's the center of all things. He's the light, gives us life, and we revolve around him. Even in your own life activities and your own identity is broadcasting God's message. I'm going to get very personal now with you. When you meet somebody for the first time and they say, who are you or what's your name? 
I would say, I am Joe. Joseph here would say, I am Joseph. He's got the same name. How about that? Renee would say, I am Renee. Adrian, I am Adrian. Steve would say, I am Steve. Charlie, who's watching on the internet, would say, I am Charlie. <laughs> when you say, when you identify your own self, you are saying God's name first. God's name is I am. Your own identity. You don't exist without God. And when you say your own name, your own identity, you are reminding yourself that you are already part of God. Remember, Christ fills all things everywhere with himself. So your own identity is etched with God's identity, and it tells you where you're going. Remember, he declares the end from the beginning, so the end of the story is we're going to be part of the I Am family. And he's telling you right now, with every time you identify yourself. Okay, if you thought we haven't gotten biblical yet, we're going to get very biblical now. God's word at God's speed. And I have, this is all in the book, folks. So, uh, by the way, there's three copies left, I think, out there, in case I didn't mention it. Grab one if you haven't grabbed one yet. And, of course, there's the website, reachinggodspeed.com. Uh, Jesus was famously put in a manger. The Bible mentions it at least three times. Why is Jesus put in a manger? Let's not think physically. Let's think spiritually. Well, what is a manger? A manger is not a barn. A manger is not a stable. So get that nonsense out of your mind. A manger is a feeding box for animals. It's where you put the food. It's where the food is. Remember, we are the animals metaphorically. We're the sheep, we're the dogs, we're the swine, all that. Jesus calls us all those things. He is the true food. So right from the beginning of his own life, he is broadcasting the end of the story. He is the true food. He is the bread from heaven for us metaphorical animals. Remember, Jesus only spoke in parables. So he is our true food. Every, when you hear the word manger, I know it's a word we don't use in English a lot, but in French, you know, if you ever took French class, one of the first verbs they teach you is manger. M-A-N-G-E-R. It's spelled the same way. To eat. If you're Italian, mangia, mangia. Everyone says mangia. Same word. To eat. Because we have to eat of Jesus. We have to feed on him to get life. Okay, the book of Esther is a fun book. It's got a lot in there. I can't go through the whole thing right now, but I'm just going to give you a quick uh, highlight or two. You know, God's name is never mentioned in Esther. And uh, even the word God is not mentioned in Esther. It's like he's hidden in there. Why is he hidden in there? Well, the name Esther, one of the meanings of it, means hidden in Hebrew, or I'm a hiding place. And every character in Esther uh, represents somebody in the overarching great spiritual story. Let's focus on the bad guy, because people love to hate the bad guy. His name is Haman, as you know. And who does Haman represent in Esther? Well, who, think of, first of all, who is the ultimate bad guy in, in our existence? We know it's Satan the devil. And Haman does represent Satan the devil, not because Joe Kovac says so, but because the Bible says he's Satan the devil. Where does it say that? Esther 7.6. And Esther said, the adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman. She says three times in the same verse who Haman represents. He's the adversary and the enemy. Both those words mean Satan, by the way, in case you never looked up what Satan means, but you, I know you guys already know that. The adversary and the enemy is this wicked Haman. Well, who is called the wicked? 
in the Bible. The wicked one. Of course, that's Satan, the devil. So, uh, we have the plot of Esther, which is about an obedient bride for the king being needed to be found because the original bride of the king did not obey the king. Well, what does that sound like? Sounds a lot like the ancient Israelites not being obedient and a new bride needs to be found who is obedient. It could also possibly be a reference to the angels not being obedient at first. And so God is making humanity in general. And of course, as you know, a main theme of Esther is the story is about a rescue from certain death. Everyone was supposed to be destroyed, annihilated, killed on a certain day of the month. And it's celebrated, curiously, on the 14th and 15th of the last month of the year. The 14th and the 15th is the celebration of Purim in the last month of the year. Now, what other famous Bible holy days do you know of that are celebrated on the 14th and 15th of the month. Of course, it's Passover and unleavened bread, which is in the first month, and it just happens to be celebrating what? A rescue from certain death. God is very consistent in his messages. Okay, let's move on. More Bible. Just going to squeeze in as much as I can here. The woman caught in adultery, John chapter 8. We all know this story. Woman gets snagged in adultery. And Jesus writes something mysterious with the, uh, thing, his finger in the dust of the ground. Well, we should all know by now who the woman represents caught in adultery because we're all the woman. God is the man in the story. We're the bride. You see woman in the Bible, think the believers, people uh, in general. So we've all been forgiven of our sins, right, if we come to God because he has the power to forgive us. Now, here's the fun part. What was Jesus writing in the dust of the earth with his very own finger? The Bible doesn't tell you right there, but we're thinking people and we're going to connect the dots from the Bible. Remember, what is the dust of the earth according to scripture? We are, of course, we're the dust of the earth. And so right in Genesis, it's what we're made of. So Jesus is going to be writing in us something. Now, where else in the Bible does God use his own finger to write something extremely famous? There's ten of them. Ten commandments. Right. So, God is going to write his own laws in our hearts and minds and people in the flesh in the future. And guess what? The Bible actually says that. Jeremiah 31:33. So we're not making this up. We're just connecting dots from the Bible here. This is going to happen in the future. Quote, I will put my law in their inward parts. That's Ten Commandments, his laws, right? I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts. So Jesus, when he's writing in the dust of the earth, he's writing the laws of God because it's, he's declaring the end from the beginning. And what happens at the end of the story? Once people have God's laws in their hearts and minds, they're not going to be accusing anybody anymore because they're all going to be part of the God team, if you want to think of it that way. They're all going to get with the program. And what happens at the end of that story? The accusers vanish, right? There's nobody left to it. Once he's starting writing in the ground, the accusers just vanish one by one because there's not going to be any accusers left 
when we get with the program, when all those other people, I know you guys are with the program already, so you're going to be the first resurrection, so thank God for that. But all these other people, once God gets a hold of them and writes in their hearts, inside the dust of the earth, remember, we're the dust of the earth, that uh, the accusers vanish. And the Bible even says so, the very next verse in Jeremiah 31, 34. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. So the Bible tells you that the accusers vanish. They won't be there anymore because they're all with the program. So that's very good news for everybody else. You don't have to worry about them. The end has been declared from the beginning right from this story. So when you see these, again, this is an actual event, woman caught in adultery and Jesus writing in the ground. So uh, while it's a parable, it's also an actual event. So the actual event did happen, but it's always broadcasting a parable because Jesus only spoke in parables. Okay, let's talk about Doubting Thomas, one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Who does Doubting Thomas represent? Well, his name means twin, as in number two, the second one. Very important. Remember, his name refers to number two, the second one. That's what his name means. The Bible keeps saying Thomas called the twin, because that's what the name means. And twin means number two, or the second one. Now, listen closely as I just recap what happens with Thomas. But open your ears to hear the spirit level of this. Don't just think physically of the dude named Thomas. He's the doubting person, right? He represents all those people who doubt anything about God. The doubter is not present and doesn't believe the first time during the first assembly of disciples. Right? We all know that. All the other disciples were there. The doubter wasn't there. The doubter is not present and doesn't believe the first time during the first assembly of disciples. What is this projecting? Remember, God is declaring the end from the beginning. The doubting person is not there during the first assembly, during the first resurrection. There won't be a single doubter of God during the first resurrection. I know you folks all believe in more than one resurrection. There is a second resurrection. Now, the doubter is present and believes in the second time, in the second assembly, the second resurrection. This one's dead anyway. I don't even need that anymore. I don't know why I'm leaning into it. The doubter is present and believes in the second time.